most exciting and most rewarding. To trust truly what we believe the body of Christ to be the voice of the community opening up scripture together. And so they're really, if you ask most clergy people in interviews, they'll say this is one of their, um, in fact they did a, I told this to the deeper crowd last Sunday, they did a survey, nine out of ten clergy people in their ordination process when asked what their favorite text of the gospel was, said the road to advance. And there, I think in part it's because it lives out our vocational calling to be about opening scripture, tending to the meal, and sending us out to share the good news. And I love this, I love this passage because as I mentioned last week, it really does <laughs> put us into those characters. Except for Cleopas, the other one's not named, but they're really two nobodies. From, um, and really, they're not associated um, or named later. And so we too, their story becomes our story. And if you, again, if you're a visitor with us, this is really um, part two. We looked at this text last week. And um, in fact, I gave a little homework assignment last week. Um, do you remember this? Oh, good. Um, I actually sent a, an email during in the middle of the week. We sent out an e-newsletter, and it reminded us to be thinking about where do we see God. And um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin by, and you know, this may be the whole sermon. We'll see uh, where you saw God this week, um, and we can do this later. But let's, let's hear where you encountered God this week. Yesterday, at Park Ridge on the side hill, where everybody was pretty much out They all gathered around, they all paid the dog, and they all quit yelling. Can y'all hear that? Knight's uh, first name, uh, who had been in captivity for 10 years, and she said that she found God. Tuesday night at the spaghetti supper. Mm -hmm. Julie, you know I have to, uh, have to mention this. Seeing the love of God, and you all came to my aid, and tears just rolled down because I. And realize so much love. Theo said the love that he's felt from y'all moves him to tears and sees God. 
We saw it Thursday afternoon. Yes. After about eight years, we finally were able to convince the school system that uh, Jacob needs an IEP. So we'll have one in place for senior year for college. If you didn't hear, Janice has said after eight years of seeking an IEP, an individualized education plan for Jacob, their son, and finally getting the good news that it's coming. I spent two days in a hotel room with three year old and one year old. <laughs> uh-huh. Everything they do is say, even when they tell me they love you. In traffic this week, there were two or three times just this week where if I had pulled out from the light when I should have, I would have been right in the path of that car that was racing through the red light. Tuesday, which is my birthday, and he kept singing. That's so beautiful, what she said there, because uh, Robert called me the other day and told me I need to, uh, need a little help back here on the back patio. So I began to start digging the thing, uh, this little garden for the kids up. And as I began to start digging, I got close to three baby rabbits. You know, and I, when I got so close to it, one of them went to crying, and I, I thought I'd done stepped on it. But when I got uh, real close to them, 
pulled back the weed there, that he was crying and everything, and that was a warning. I never thought anything can touch my heart like it did with those baby rats. I told Robert about them over there. I said, well, somebody's going to have to babysit. Jerusalem 
a place of pain, where literally they saw their friend, their Christ, crucified. And it's Easter morning, and after, for whatever reason, conversation, they decide to go back, back home, over here. Maybe it's a longing to go back to what they know, but for whatever reason, they go. They start moving. I mean, that's what you do, right? When you're anxious or tired or frustrated, you start moving. And so they move. They move. And in talking and in conversation, all of a sudden it says, Jesus comes alongside, and yet they are kept from recognizing him. Kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said, what's going on? They're like, have you not heard? Are you the only one, a visitor, that hasn't heard that Jesus has died and they go on to say he was crucified and that this morning these women came and told us the body was not there. At which point Jesus breaks in and he said, how foolish. You're so slow to believe. And at which point he says, not that he opens what just happened in the last few days, but all of scripture, literally all of life from Moses to the prophets. And then, what I love, this moment where Jesus sort of feigns that he's going further. And they say, you know what? Stay with us. It is nearly evening, and the day is almost done. And so, this beautiful moment where the guest becomes host sitting at table and the Eucharist overtones. He takes the bread, gives thanks, and breaks it and gives it to them. And it says in that moment, their eyes were opened. But he disappears. Like the white squirrel. Every time I try to get closer and closer and grab a hold of this divine presence, moves. And they say to one another, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was talking with us and when he was opening up scripture? And so in the peril of night, most likely, they go back the seven miles to Jerusalem. They can't contain that burning. And so today, I couldn't help but ask this question of where we encounter Christ. Because so many times, I believe that Christ comes to us, and yet our eyes do not see. We had some conversation at Free For All about why that was. In fact, one person said, well, it says that his eyes were kept from seeing, and so there's a sense of divine intervention And then Herb said, the students weren't ready. (laughs) Can I get an amen from the teachers in the class? (laughs) That's right. He said, first, Jesus sees where the students are. Then he fills in what they're missing. 
giving them new eyes to see. And I believe he helps them move out of the preoccupation with the past and maybe even anxiety about the future and holds them in the present. And now they have eyes to see. I want to ask you this question. See, I'm going to sit back down. Are there times in your life where you know you didn't see something, the presence of Christ, but now looking back, you realize it was because you weren't ready to see? Have you had an experience like that? Bill? A long time ago, I had laid off a job. It was very unjustified, very wrong. Did y'all hear that, Josh? Annette. There's a pastoral care theologian named Paul David Tripp, and he says sometimes God will take you to places you don't want to go to build on you something you cannot produce on your own. And I think, as I say to you, my time in a financial firm in Dallas. Um, I never ever want to be there for one second. But the um, the, 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 the crucible, the, what felt like torture, the pain, the the, the suffering with, with, with nothing felt calming prepared me to help the dying. So you know, I never wanted to do. I don't know what could prepare me to help the dying um, without that. We pretend when 
that we know the story and that it means something to us. We pretend sometimes fake experiences that aren't true. We don't want to be the one that says, I don't believe this. All the more that this text invites us to brutal honesty that we not bluff, but behold. Another story. As we move into a time of breaking bread, I wanted to share one of the most meaningful stories of eyes opening that I know of from the book Take This Bread, which we're going, Glenda's going to share in June at the women's luncheon. But there's this great passage um, she says, early one winter morning, I walked into St. Gregory's Episcopal Church in San Francisco. I had no earthly reason to be there. I'd never heard a gospel reading, never said the Lord's Prayer. I was certainly not interested in becoming a Christian, or as I thought of it, rather less politely, a religious nut. <laughs> then she passes by this beautiful building, steeple, and it piqued her curiosity as she goes in. And then there were these people in tie-dye robes. They sang, they sat down, they invited him finally to the table. And one said, Jesus invites everyone to his table. They started moving up in a stately dance to the table in the rotunda. It had some dishes on it and a pottery goblet. And then we gathered around that table, and there was more singing and standing, and someone was putting a piece of fresh, crumbly bread in my hand, saying, the body of Christ, and handing the goblet of wine, saying, the blood of Christ. And then something outrageous and terrifying happened. Jesus happened to me. I still can't explain my first communion. It made no sense. I was in tears and physically unbalanced. I felt as if I had just stepped off a curb or been knocked over painlessly from behind. The disconnect between what I thought was happening, I was eating a piece of bread, and then what I heard someone say that was happening, the piece of bread, the body of Christ. Patently untrue or at best metaphorical statement. And what I knew was happening, God named Christ or Jesus, was real and in my mouth utterly short-circuited my ability to do anything but cry. And then she says, and I love this piece, and the word made flesh was indisputably in my body now as if I'd swallowed a radioactive pellet that would outlive my own flesh. Body of Christ. The broken bread <coughs> One reason, as we said at the table, eating at Free For All, that Jesus is the master teacher, that Jesus invokes all the senses and opens us with texture, with smell, with sight. And today, I too want to invite us in the breaking of the bread because truly, if this text is not anything else, it's a description of what worship should be. That when we come in, when we gather, 
Jesus meets us on the way, the name for the early Christians, the way. And that in gathering, we have the opportunity for scripture to be opened, to eat the meal, and to be sent out. And so we worship this morning, this text, and may our prayer be like those two people. Stay with us. It's almost evening, and the day is almost done. On the night Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of this, all of you. This is my blood, the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. This morning, as we, we're going to pass the bread, and we're going to do something a little bit different. It's fleshy, it's crusty. It is the Christ. Of course, in our tradition, we don't believe it's literally Jesus. But I hope that this will be a way of seeing Christ in this moment. Particularly in that all of our senses are opened right now. That we are present. That we are contemplative in the sense that we are living in this moment. And anything could happen. And to that end, when you pass the bread, I want you to say to the person next to you. This is the body of Christ, broken for you. And then we will hold it and all eat it together.
body of Christ broken for you.